0: What a blessing, as we've said nearly every Sunday morning, it is to be looking at the attributes of God. And it's hard to believe this is the 13th attribute that we've been looking at. And if you haven't caught on through the songs that we've been singing today, the attribute is the love of God. You know, unless we fully grasp this truth, we will be prone to doubt. We will be easily deceived. We will end up disobeying God and being defeated. This is, this is one of the most foundational attributes of God. And really it permeates all of the attributes of God. And what a blessing it is to realize the unity that all the attributes of God have, how they perfectly fit together. Philosophers tell us that one of the greatest needs that human beings have is to be loved. We need to know that we are important to someone, that somebody truly cares about us, that they want us, that we're accepted unconditionally. And when we doubt that we are loved, um, psychologists often trace um behaviors, bizarre behaviors, to um, sometimes patterns that they've developed to compensate or to counteract a failure of understanding that they are loved. And when we come to think of God's love, a biblical love, a biblical love is a self-sacrificing, <clears throat> caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. To say that God is love is to say that um, he is self-sacrificing, he is committed, as we will see, eternally committed in seeking the highest good of the ones that are loved. And it implies that all of God's activities are motivated by love. When he creates, he creates in love. When he rules, he rules in love. When he judges, he judges in love. It is all in love. It's an expression of his nature. It's an expression of who he is. We read in First John chapter 4, And it said, God is love, twice in this passage. God is love. It doesn't just say, God loves. It says His very nature. God is love. As we've looked through the um, fruit of the Spirit in previous studies, it is the first step of the fruit of the Spirit is love. And many commentators say that all the others come under the banner of love. But when John says here, God is love, it's his very nature. And as we said, it permeates everything that he does. So we want to look at some of the characteristics of God's love. First of all, it is unconditional. Human love is generally the response to conditions and circumstances around us. We love someone because they please us or because they seem attractive or because they pay attention to us or because they make us laugh or feel good or do something for us. By contrast, God's love is totally uncaused. It is unconditional. I, I heard an illustration, a, a human illustration of unconditional love. The guy said, you take your wife, your mother-in-law, and your dog, and you lock them in a, in your trunk of your car for one hour. You open the trunk and you will see which one has unconditional love for you. Your dog will be glad to see you. The other two probably won't be glad to see you, okay? That's human love. That's how we are. But God's love is not human, and we can't box Him into what our understanding of love is. We need to ask Him to open our eyes to understand His love. In being unconditional, it is important to note that God's love is a love that initiates It is It is never a response. He is always the initiator. He is always the one pursuing. Our love is often the response. Someone's nice to us, then we show love back. Um, Because God is the initiator. That's what makes it unconditional. If God's love were conditional, then we would have to do something to earn it. We would have to do something to merit it. We would have to do something to appease His wrath. But His love is unconditional. And and that is the biblical message. That is the gospel. That God, motivated by His love, unconditionally sent His Son to save us. From the very beginning, when... Mankind sinned. Adam and Eve sinned. God sought Adam. Not in order to put him to death, but to reestablish a relationship with him. God, the lover, will not allow sin to stand between him and his creature. We know God is holy. God is perfect. Adam sinned, and we all have sinned with Adam, and Adam's sin is in us. But God, in His love, would not allow this sin to stand between us, and He did what was necessary to bridge the gap. The Lord loves you today, not because of anything you are doing, not because your heart is full of great love, But He loves you in spite of yourself, in spite of myself. God's love in being unconditional means that it is not performance-oriented. There is nothing we can do to make Him love us more. And there is nothing we can do to make Him love us less. I mean, let that sink into you. Sometimes we think... As believers, we think, boy, if, if I do this and do this and, and I'm faithful in this, God will love me more. There's nothing we can do to make Him love us more. His love is unconditional. Turn to Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five. And Paul in, in writing in the book of Romans was, Conveying the heart of God and and the condition of man, and in Romans chapter five, I'll begin reading in verse six. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You notice he said, mankind will scarcely die for a righteous man or a good man, but Jesus Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, while we were still in rebellion against God, and, and He paid the supreme and showed the supreme manifestation of God's unconditional love when He gave the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. So God's love is unconditional, and God's love paid the ultimate sacrifice For us, some say, and even today, say, with all this evil in the world, with with all this death, with all the vileness, where is the love of God? Well, you don't have to look far to understand where the love of God is. In 1 John chapter 3, and, and I encourage you, you read through the book of 1 John, you want to expand your understanding of God's love and its place in our life. Read 1 John. But 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16 says, By this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. How do we know God's love? Where is God's love? We go back and look at the cross. The ultimate sacrifice was paid when he laid down his life for us, he, as is mentioned in probably the most familiar verse in the Bible, John 3.16, God so loved the world, but it doesn't stop there, that he gave. Love is more than words. Love is actions. And God's love gave the, the ultimate price, he took his only begotten son and saw him nailed to the cross because he loved sinners better than he loved his own son. He was willing to sacrifice his own son for the love for you and for me and for the entire world. You think of that. That's the the ultimate sacrifice. This unconditional love that seeks and pursues and bridges reached its pinnacle when God sent His Son into the world to rescue we as sinners. It's the gift of God's Son. It's the greatest gift that has ever been given. And in so doing, God declared that our salvation was more dear to Him. Restoring us to fellowship with Him was more dear than His own Son. Knowing, of course, that He would restore us and His Son would be restored to fellowship after bearing it. But you think of it. Every humiliation that Christ bore, every mocking that He endured, every heartache, every trial of our Savior was God showing his love for us. Now, God's unconditional love does not mean that everyone will be saved. There's some that teach because of this attribute of God, God is love, that they teach a universalism, that everyone will be saved. That is a perverted idea of God's love because God is merciful in His love, but those who reject His gift of love subject themselves to God's wrath that we looked at several weeks ago. And it is God's love that offers the remedy for our sin by paying the ultimate sacrifice. And and our words do not do justice today in dealing with the ultimate sacrifice that God made in giving up His Son. So, it is an unconditional love. It is a love that paid the highest price that is possible to be paid. God sending His Son, bearing the shame, bearing the reproach, bearing our sin, so that we could receive the gift of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. He that hath the Son has life, everlasting life. He that does not have the Son does not have life. And Jesus said these things unto us that we could know that we have everlasting life. But thirdly, God's love is a never-changing, never-ending, eternal love. In Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3, He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Do you understand what that means? God's love for you and for me will never change. It can't weaken. It can't get stronger. It it never fluctuates. You never have to wake up in the morning and think, well, where is God's love in living with human beings, in working with other individuals, we we sometimes go into work and think, wonder how the boss is today. We wake up, wonder how dad is, how mom is, how are the kids' attitudes going to be today. We never have to wonder about God's love. Never did His love begin, and never can it cease. It is eternal. In the Trinity they love the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, had have this perfect love, and they allow us to be invited into that love through the love of Jesus Christ, and it is an eternal love. Uh, one of my favorite passages is in Romans chapter eight, and and Paul again in Romans highlighting the workings of God in salvation said, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. Yet in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And he said, I am persuaded. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You think of that. We rejoice in that. We live in in uncertain times and all times throughout human history have been uncertain. We're just realizing it in a, in a fresher manner now, but he says in all these times no matter what distress and tribulation and persecution and famine and nakedness nothing can separate us from the love of God. It is it is a never changing never-ending, eternal love that we cannot be separated from. It is a love, fourthly, that continually does what is best. Now, this is where it comes down to um, a test of our faith. Do we really believe God loves us when things don't go the way that we plan them to. God, if we, if we fully grasp this, God is love and in His love He wills the good of all and He never wills evil or harm to any of His. And this is why John, in the passage we read earlier, Said, there is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear. In love, God disciplines us. In love, God denies us certain things. In love, God directs us in areas that maybe we would not have chosen. And we may not think it's right. We may say, God, I don't understand this. I wouldn't have chosen this if I'd lived a million years. What is going on? We need to come back and say, even though I do not see clearly, I know that God loves me, and in love, he is allowing this into my life, and in love, God is at work in my life, and someday I will see that it was all in love, and I will see clearly, and I will see that God was perfect in all his ways. How many times a parent in love says, no, you can't do that? To the child tempted to throw a temper tantrum, to pout, to go away, to think, my parents hate me. It may be a little child, it may be a teenager, when they don't get their way to say, they don't love me. And oftentimes we're the same way with God. Because He doesn't do what we think He should, we're tempted to think, God doesn't love me. And that's exactly where Satan wants us to be. That's exactly where Satan got Adam and Eve. If God loved you, he wouldn't keep this from you. But here's something really good that God is keeping from you. And this is the battleground that we live in. Satan continually wants us to doubt and question the love of God. And if there is anything that should never be questioned, it is the love of God. He cannot manifest His love any more than He has. And everything that He does, although we may not understand it, is an expression of His love. Even this that we're living in in this time now, all of the things that are going on, someday we will see this was an expression of God's love. For a child of God, To willfully disobey God, it brings God's discipline in our life. And when that discipline comes, sometimes we can think God doesn't love us. But you think of this. Here is God, and we've mentioned all these attributes He's all knowing, He's all powerful, He is ever present, He is holy, He is mighty. We've listed all these attributes of God, and all of these are exercised through love. So why would we not submit to Him? Why would we not yield to Him? When we fully understand the love of God and fully understand that He continually does what is best, we then will come to find another aspect of his love is that his love gives purpose, comfort, and security. Perfect love casts out fear. There is security in, in having the roots of our faith grounded in this fact that God loves me. There will be times we don't understand it, but we come back and say, I don't, I don't see it clearly, but I believe the Bible when it says, God loves me. Andrew sang earlier, He will hold me fast. Why?
1: For my
0: Savior loves me so. The storms of life come, but He will hold me fast. How do you know that? Well, I've been really good. No, no, no. We rejoice that He will hold us fast because of His love. That's the only basis. Well, I've faithfully served Him for all these years. That isn't why He holds us fast. He holds us fast because my Savior loves me so. And we need to get this embedded in our hearts and minds, the love of God. And it will give us purpose for living. It will give us comfort. It will give us security. Have you been afraid of God? Or have you been fearful of what God might allow to happen in your life? Or fearful of what God may ask you to do? All of those stem from a a faulty belief in the love of God that he has for us. Imagine someone who loves you and has all knowledge and power and wisdom. Would you fear what he has planned for you? No, you would say, I know he wants what is best for me. The nature of God's love. Causes him to always desire what is best for you and for me. Years ago, 200 years ago, in a prison cell wall, there were found words that were written on the wall. And not sure why... The one that had been in that cell wrote those words, what the circumstances were. But when he died, those that were responsible to come in and paint the wall were impressed by the words. And before they dipped their brushes and painted the wall, they they wrote down the words. And the words that impressed them that were written on this prison wall, were these words. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. For some reason, this prisoner that we know nothing about, that wrote the words on this, some say it may have gone back to a Jewish poem uh, thousands of years ago, but at any rate, he wrote on this prison wall, about the love of God. And it provided to him a focus, a purpose, a sense of security. Those words were read in the early 1900 at an evangelistic meeting. And a young man was very impressed with it, and he too jotted down the words that that we just read. And some years later, he was taken to California. He was working in the orchards of California, and one day during a, a short interval in, um, in his work, he um, grabbed a lemon box and sat down on it and grabbed a little stub of a pencil, and he started writing another poem. He quickly wrote one stanza wrote a what we now call a chorus then he quickly without much thought at all they just flowed from his heart as he worked on this he created two more stanzas and a chorus that he added then to the verse we read earlier this man's name was F M layman And in 1917, this was put to the words that he wrote down in addition to the third verse that was written on the prison wall. The focus of it all is the love of God. And when we come to understand the love of God, it will transform our lives. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. I, I love that phrase there. Sometimes when we think of love, we think of some emotional, temperamental, fuzzy type of thing. God's love is strong. It is strong in that it is unconditional. It, it wasn't, there wasn't anything in our life that drew him to us. It was strong that initiated it. It was strong that endured in paying the ultimate sacrifice for sin. It was strong in when we tempt it to be changing and to cut us off through our Wickedness, self-willed rebellion, it is strong, it is eternal. He continually does what is best. And, And I just want to quickly make some application. If we really come to grasp God's love, number one, it will be humbling in our life. We have nothing to glory in. It is all God's love. Our only qualification was our sin. It ought to humble us that, that God would love me. It should, it should drive us to our knees to, to say, God, thank you, thank you, thank you for saving a wretched sinner like me. And if you have never called upon the Lord Jesus Christ, it should humble you to the point of saying, God, Your love for me is what I need. I can't find that love in any other thing in this world. And you never will. And you will never have satisfaction. You will never have peace. You will never have purpose until you come to humble yourself before him. And if you are a believer, it should be greatly humbling to us as we bow and say, God, thank you for your love and then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14, it says, the love of Christ compels us or constrains us or draws us. The love of God in our life should compel us, number one, to love Him. I mean, it would be, it, it should be a natural response when someone has loved us like this that we would respond, that we would reciprocate with love. And he said, that's the first and great command, to love God. So it draws us, because of my great love for you, it literally compels us, constrains us, that we should love God and that we should love others. God is our model. God is our standard we are to love as God loved us. Husbands are to love our wives like Christ loved us, unconditionally, sacrificially, never changing, not fluctuating, continually doing what is best for the one loved. We are to love our neighbor as God loved us. We are to love the sinner The unsaved, the way that God loves us. And God's love should then compel us to depend on Him. I cannot love like God loves unless I get that love from Him. There's no way, there's absolutely no way that I can love as God loves unless I am dependent on Him. And it should compel us to love God, to love others, to love in the manner that He loves, and that should compel us to depend entirely on Him. And then it not only should be humbling, it not only will be compelling, it will give us confidence. In Romans chapter 8 again, and and what a great, great chapter Romans 8 is, but in Romans chapter 8, And verse 31, it says, if God be for us, who can be against us? And verse 32, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us, shall he not much more freely give you all things? Again, the confidence, if God is for me, if God loves me, who can be against me? And how do I know that God loves me? Well, he spared not his own son. He gave his own son. What confidence there is in realizing, wow, God is for me. This is the most profound it is the most um, in-depth truth of God's Word. It's the overall message of God's Word, the love of God. And yet it is profoundly simple. As the little song that's sad to say many times, we relegate to children. If we would really grasp this truth... Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? For the Bible tells me so. There will come days in your life when the circumstances won't tell you that. But you need to come back and say, God, I am not questioning your love. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Amen. Because of Jesus' great love, He says that He will stay beside us all the way. If you have never called upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, His love is pursuing you even today. His love is calling out to you and He says, Come unto Me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Simply where you are, call upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin because of his great love for you. And as a believer, rejoice, humble yourself, let his love compel you to love as he loved, and live with confidence because he is with us all the way until he comes again. Maranatha.